Well, hello, church, uh, online community, West Fort Worth, South Lake, North Richmond Hills. Uh, you're probably scratching your heads right now. Trust me, this is the weirdest preaching moment I think I have ever participated in. Uh, as you've probably heard, this past week, Jamie and I tested positive for the COVID virus. And I want you to know, we have taken this very seriously because this is a very serious disease. However, we have been so blessed that our symptoms have been remarkably mild. Just some muscle soreness and a little bit of tiredness. We have run no fever. We haven't had any problems with our breathing. Uh, we have been lifted up by so many of you with your prayers. And I just want to say thank you. And I know it seems a little weird, but I felt strong enough and good enough that I wanted to go ahead and finish this series, That Is Who You Are. But obviously, I was not about to leave my home. And so our creative team, led by Taylor Walling and with the ample help from Dean Davis, they came out and created this little studio in our garage. Uh, they did all the protocols of the CDC. They sprayed everything down. Of course, I was not out here when they set it up. Everything is set up. I'm going to preach this sermon. They're going to come back tomorrow, spray everything back down, take all their equipment home. I am so grateful to them and so many like them that go the second mile every week so that we can bring the Word of God to you. I just, again, want to say thank you for caring for us. Thank you for praying for us. And God has been good to us, and I anticipate in a matter of a few days being back to the ministry of the church I love so much. Well, now, after all that, don't you think a little cuteness and adorableness would be appropriate? So I have another video I want to show you, and his name is Channon McGuire. Cannon is three. They attend the South Lake campus, and ever since he was two, he has loved watching Luke Cabrera play the guitar. Every Sunday, he would ask to go up on stage and see and touch the guitars. Uh, when they were online, he would always say, look, there's Luke and his guitar. And so uh, his mother shared with me recently a video of Cannon at home with his own guitar uh, singing the chorus to Waymaker. Check this out. <laughs> Okay, now how cute is that? And it brought back a memory as I stand here in this garage of when I was with a bunch of children about Cannon's age. You see, uh, long ago, my wife and my uh, sister-in-law were in town. So we had about six children, uh, five and younger. And for some reason, the women left them with me. And so I'm putting them all in the shower to clean them up. A big storm came over. It was loud and raining and thundering. And there was a big crack of lightning. And I'm telling you, the electricity went off. It was dark, not just in our house, not just across the street, but I mean for blocks, it was just dark. Now, this was before cell phones. Uh, I'm sure we had some candles or flashlights, but I didn't know where they were. I cannot describe how dark it was. And of course, the kids got very, very scared. And it's thundering, and, and they can't see anything. And they start to cry, and I'm panicking. And the only thing I could think of was to wrap them up in towels and bring them out here to the garage. 
I had to pull the garage door open manually because there was no electricity and get them in the car and turn on the lights because the only thing that was going to calm them in that moment was light. You see, we take for granted, I think, how good light is just readily available. We have cell phones and we have light switches and we have all kinds of lamps. We understand this is a very recent luxury. For most of mankind's history, dark was a game changer. Oh, sure, there were candles and there was oil, but again, only the rich and the elite could afford to use those anytime they wanted. For most of man throughout history, darkness has been debilitating. It has been paralyzing. It has been terrifying. You have, for example, if you've read the story of the Exodus, how God prepared the people for deliverance by giving to Egypt ten plagues. And they were terrible things, locusts and frogs and gnats. But the ninth plague may have been the scariest to date. God said to Moses, I am going to cover the land with a darkness so thick you can feel it. And for three days, that darkness descended on Egypt, and it said nobody moved. Well, imagine why. Imagine a darkness so thick you feel it, and you can hear something scurrying, but you can't see it. You can feel something slither across your foot, but you don't know what it is. Can you imagine how psychologically traumatizing it would be to live in a state of darkness? And perhaps that's why when the Bible looks for a metaphor, to describe life without God, it uses the word darkness over 200 times. A metaphor for evil, for suffering, for brokenness, for the fallout of life apart from God. And darkness is no respecter of persons, but the good news is neither is God. Now, the big takeaway of this whole series is this, that the most important thing about you is what you think of God. And and God in His grace has given us this revelation we call the Bible to help us get our thinking right about God. So isn't it significant that the the very first thought the Bible gives us about God is this, that our God is a light In the darkness. See what I mean. Look at the very first verses of the Bible with me. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Here's what God is doing. He's preparing. He's getting ready to create an earth, a world for us. And what's the very first thing we know God does to do that? Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. See, I I want to reframe how we think about light. Let there be light is God's gift to the world. So you're familiar in Genesis 1, as God is preparing this world for us, everything He does is called good. Everything He creates, everything He prepares is good. And providing light was the first good thing God did. Now, if you know your days of creation, the sun and the moon and the stars were not created until the fourth day. So what was the source of this light? 
And my view is that it was God himself. And so the Bible is telling the story of a God who wants to live in intimate fellowship with his children on this good earth he's created. And the first two chapters of the Bible tell how he started that story. And the last two chapters of the Bible tell how that story finishes. God has restored creation the way he wanted it to be. And notice how John in his vision describes that new creation. In Revelation 21, the city had no need of sun or moon. For the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. So get this, the Bible is telling a story that starts and that ends with us living the good life in the light of our loving God. But the Bible tells the whole story. It tells the story of all the darkness between the start and the finish. And let's be honest, it didn't take long for things to go dark. By just the third chapter, man has turned his back against God. By the fourth chapter, man has turned against his own brother. And it's significant that God never has to say, let there be dark. It is the bent of the rebellious human heart to reject God and what God calls good. And Jesus explained it like this. He said, people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Uh, Paul put it like this in Ephesians 4. He describes what people without God are like. He says, their minds are full of darkness they wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now, humanism says man is just getting better and better, but the Scripture says without God, man just gets darker and darker, that each generation finds new ways to get even more morally depraved than the generation before it. We live in a very dark world, and God would be just if He just let us stay there. But you see, God is light in the darkness. That is who He is. He cannot keep the gift of light to Himself. And so, John, in the first chapter of his gospel, has this amazing verse. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And so in Bethlehem, there was a virgin who was pregnant. And when she gave birth to her son in a manger in Bethlehem, God said again, let there be light. You see, Jesus came from heaven to shed light on everything. To shed light on how much we matter to God. To shed light on how close God is to us, even when we can't see it or feel it. To shed light on how far God is willing 
to go to set us free from the darkness. My God, that is who you are. God refuses to let darkness have the last word. And listen, child of God, we shouldn't either. You see, let there be light is not just God's gift to the world. Let there be light is our prayer in the world. Now, I heard a story about a newly appointed pastor at an inner city church. And as he looked out the window of his office, he saw all of the fallout of poverty and crime and prostitution and despair and drug abuse. And he was weeping. And one of the deacons of the church came in and patted him on the back and said, Don't worry, pastor, you'll get used to it. And the pastor replied, I know I will. That's why I'm crying. You see, what we must do, because darkness is so normal, we get complacent to it. Scripture is calling us to be vigilant, to not just accept darkness as it is what it is, because we have a God who likes to say, let there be light. Let me tell you this amazing story in the Old Testament. So Joshua is helping the children of Israel possess the land of promise. And they have this battle with a people called the Amorites. It's a huge battle that really turns uh, the tide of the possession of the land. And, and Joshua and the people of Israel are winning the battle. In fact, God is sending down hailstones to hit the Amorites and not the Israelites, which you would think make the Amorites wonder what's going on. But the night is beginning to descend, and the battle is not over yet. And Joshua knows the advantage goes to the Amorites at night. They know the land. The Israelites don't. And so this guy prays the boldest prayer he basically says, we need more daylight. And he looks up to the sky and he says, son, stand still. God, we need more daylight. Now you heard me right. If you didn't know the story, you should read it in Joshua 10. And here's what the scripture says. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jasher? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky, and it did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Now, I know that's a bizarre story, but we already decided two weeks ago that our God is a miracle worker, that He created the laws of nature. He is not constricted by the laws of nature. I think God hit the solar pause button. That's not consistent with the law of nature, but it's totally consistent with God's character and God's agenda and God's desire to bring light into the darkness. And like Joshua, we need to pray bigger. We need to pray bolder. We need to pray some, God, we need more light here prayers. And perhaps we should start with God exposing the darkness in our own hearts. God, I need light to know of the ways in my own life where darkness has taken hold. You know, one of the things that hurts the church's witness is when we curse the darkness in the world and we don't deal with the darkness in ourselves. David prayed, 
Search my heart, Lord, and see if there's any offensive way in me. And, and maybe that is God's call to you today, to pray that prayer. God, show me any darkness in my own life. Let there be light. You see, what God did for creation, God wants to do in us. Look at Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? God wants the light with which he created to be the light that shines in us. And what God has done for us, we should pray that he will do for all. Because here's the thing. I really want you to, to remember this, that spiritual illumination requires divine intervention. Blind people cannot find the light. Now, every Christ follower I'm talking to right now has somebody on your heart, your one, your friend, your family member, your, your mate that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And here's the honest truth. They can't find Jesus Christ on their own. And here's why. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is the exact likeness of God. And that's why we pray, let there be light prayers. We are asking for the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit. We are asking for divine intervention to bring spiritual illumination because we know our God is a light in the darkness. Our God loves to say, let there be light. And he's doing it all over the world. Uh, you, you've heard me mention the Muslim world in particular, and I keep doing that because do you understand that in the last couple of decades, more Muslims have become Christians than in the previous 1,400 years? And about one out of every three Muslim who is coming to Christ is saying they had a dream or they had a vision prior to their salvation experience. Uh, Lee Strobel, in his book, The Case for Miracles, interviewed a man named Tom Doyle, who's a leading expert on this phenomenon. He's introduced hundreds and thousands of Muslims who've become Christians. And he reports that so many of them have the same image. They have this dream where someone in a white robe says that he loves them, that he died for them, and he wants them to follow him. Uh, this has happened in Syria, in Iran, in Iraq. In fact, it's happened so many times in Egypt that some local Christian groups have taken out ads in the newspapers and they say, have you seen a man in a white robe in your dreams? He has a message for you. Call this number. And we should not be surprised when we hear these kinds of stories. Because what did Jesus say about himself? Look with me, John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Not just of a part of the world. Not just of a certain people group in the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. There is no part of the world where the light of Christ cannot shine. And so, church, there is no part of the world that we should just surrender to darkness. And so here's what that means. It means let there be light is our mission for the world. Our mission. In fact, I think it's significant that out of all of the I am statements that Jesus applied to himself, only one he also applied to us. He, he, Jesus said, uh, I am the bread of life. He never said that we're the bread of life. Uh, I am the gate. He never said we're the gate. He, he certainly never said that we are the resurrection and the life. But here's what Jesus did say. I am the light of the world. and You are the light of the world. You see, God has put His light in us who have been illumined, who have come to faith in Christ. We're like lamps. We're not the light. We're, we're vessels carrying the light. And what God does when He delivers people from spiritual blindness, He brings them to others who have seen the light. And that is why wherever darkness reigns, the kingdom of God belongs. Let me say again, wherever in the world we see darkness, that is not where we as Christians retreat. It is where we invade because we are taking with us the light of salvation. And so for a harvest offering next week, I'm bringing in a guest uh, speaker. Aaron Pennington is the lead planner of Trace Church in Colorado Springs. Now, we're helping this church. It's only four years old, but pre-COVID, it was already 600 in attendance. They'd already had 160 baptisms. They've already planted their first church that pre-COVID had over 200 in attendance. It's an amazing story. I got to speak at this church two years ago, and I took this picture. Look at this sign. I love this. So they're meeting in a warehouse and they're meeting next to a business that it's a marketing company called Wicked Think. Okay? How inappropriate to describe our culture. And right where the wicked think, a kingdom outpost sharing the light of Christ exists and is making a difference. And, and this is why we take up a harvest offering. This is why next week we're going to gather $2.5 million to bless 28 missionary families to help support 16 church plants like Trace Church. Because wherever darkness reigns, the people filled with the light of God go. Here's what Jesus said to Paul when he called him into ministry. I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And then they will receive forgiveness of their sins and be given a place among God's people. Now, here's the thing. We cannot make anyone love the light, but we must want everyone to have a chance to see it. Because so many live in darkness about the true God. 
They can't say that is who you are because they don't know. To them, God is a rule maker, a taskmaster, a fine giver, a judge in the distance. Our privilege, our calling, our mission is to help them know the God revealed in Jesus so they can say, that is who you are. Uh, one of our missionary families, the Jacksons, are having that joy of introducing the true God to people as they work with Muslim refugees in Europe. They have a testimony of one of their conversations I want you to watch right now. I met a man, a family man, and he showed up at the place where we were happened to be working at that time. It was a, a local church, but they were doing feedings, and as they were serving meals, there were opportunity to talk to people, Christians, about uh, God and Jesus and the gospel. And we spent a lot of time talking to people that had questions or were curious. But this uh, man showed up, and it was obvious he came with a purpose. He was seeking that conversation out, and we found out later. Uh, he had to leave Iraq because uh, he had been tortured. Uh, he, as a policeman, he was ordered to um, treat some Christians badly. He refused to do it. He didn't think it merited that. That day, uh, he accepted Jesus. And that day, he was baptized. And I went up to him afterwards and, and was talking to him and found out he didn't have a Bible. He had never read anything in the Bible. And so I grabbed one and I said, would you be interested in, you know, <laughs> reading a little bit more about what you just signed up for? And he said, absolutely. And we continued to meet. We'd go to his apartment, met his family, studied with them, talked with them, ate with them. He brought in neighbors. And it really was interesting to see how the gospel story continues to play out. People accept Jesus and they share it. They all tell us they have come from a background where they've never heard any of the teachings that, that are so familiar to us of Jesus, like love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you, turn the other cheek, forgive. They, the new believers, if you ask them, which Phil likes to often ask them, what is it that appealed to you about Jesus and about his teaching? And almost 100% of the time, they give some answer to that effect. I've never heard about this kind of forgiveness, about this kind of love, about this kind of sacrifice. And so it really is news and it's so good and appealing to them. I think we need them every bit as much as they need us to affirm what the journey they're on. I think we need to, to humble ourselves and just walk with them because we need what they're bringing to this journey. They're, they're bringing an, an awe, a respect, a hunger and a thirsting. I mean, I'm just reading, I'm reading the gospel differently now. I'm excited about just discovering what God is doing in people. Isn't that great? Listen to the words of Jesus in John 12. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Here's what we believe at the hills. Jesus is greater than darkness. And that's why we will go anywhere. That's why we won't be intimidated by anything. 
That's why we will not let darkness have the last word. Now, there was a time when darkness thought it had the last word. There was a time when Golgotha, uh, at Golgotha, where evil thought it had put the light out. And they took him off a cross and they sealed his dead body in a dark tomb. But three days later, God said, let there be light. And as the Bible says in John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. I hope you're saying amen right now. I'm getting excited here in the garage. <laughs> darkness did not stop him. It cannot contain him and it will not keep him from returning to send darkness to hell forever. My God, that is who you are. And that God wants to say, let there be light in your heart today. Would you pray with me, please? And so, God, set our hearts on fire with the truth that the very God who spoke and darkness flooded and left the universe and light came, that same God and that same light can live in us. And so, God, for those who have received Christ, I pray you will burn in them a passion to see the light of Christ go to the world. Make us faithful, make us urgent, and make us generous, God. And I'm praying right now, God, to people at all three campuses and watching online, and something's stirring in their heart right now. Something is burning, and it is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I'm begging you right now, penetrate the darkness. I'm praying that those people listening right now, they will not be able to rest. That uneasiness in their spirit will not leave until they call, until they contact, until they do something that leads them to a conversation about Jesus, the light of the world. And in his name we pray. Amen.